If you're new around here, we are in a series. We've been in a series in the book of John, preaching verse by verse, taking a slow journey through it, but we are on a bit of a break right now. And so today, we are actually going to address a very, very practical conversation that I know that everybody in the room can identify with at some level or another. So to get us there, um, I just gotta, I gotta tell you about a day that I remember so well because it was a day that changed the world and my world. Um, it was January 9th, 2007. And it was this guy, Mr. Anybody know who that is? Anybody remember him? Yeah, front rows, got it. And um, Steve Jobs, it was an Apple event. Anybody watching Apple events? The unveiling of products? No, just me? Okay. I, I remember, uh, I've always been kind of a little nerdy, techie, kind of, you know. And uh, I remember somebody gave me a Palm Pilot. Anybody remember this for my job? And I'm like, well, this is kind of cool, you know. It's an electronic thing. You can put appointments and contacts. And, but I'm like, I, I still have to carry around a phone. My cool, at that time, Motorola flip phone. Remember those? The Razor. Uh, I'm like, I still have to carry this device, and now I have this device, and then if you want to listen to music, you remember, anybody remember an iPod? Yeah, before that, it was a Walkman, if you know what that is, you're old, and it's like, now I got all these devices I got to carry around, and then I remember this day when Mr. Steve Jobs stood up and, la, the world changed. This is actually the original iPhone. Yeah, I have one still. Um, I didn't buy it right away because I was cheap and broke. Uh, so I waited about two years and I had a buddy that always upgraded everything to the newest thing. So he sold me his about two years later. But this was the original iPhone. And you don't, I mean, if you're, if you're under like, I don't know, 20, 25 in the room, you, did, you barely even remember life without one of these things. And, you know, because, I mean, if you wanted to go on vacation and, and actually get some, like, photos, you had to carry, you know, a phone. And then you had to carry one of these. Anybody remember one of these? Camera. And one of these, little video camera, right? And then this came out. Anybody remember these? Um, trying to text. And these tiny little buttons. You had to, like, like have little elven-shaved fingernails. And then there was the next model that came out. Yeah, 3G, 4G. And yes, I just cleaned out a junk drawer, okay? So you have one too, so don't judge me too harshly. But actually, it worked out great. The timing was great. Technology, technology. Think about how much life has changed in the past 15 years. All right, I've been married 17 years. And in the past 17 years, June 2005, a little website was launched to share videos. Uh, you might have heard of it. It's called YouTube. Sold a year later to Google for $1.65 And 17 years later, your kids want to be a YouTube star more than they want to be a rock star or a doctor or a lawyer or something, right? Uh, in 2007, the very first iPhone shipped. That was 2007. Later that year, in December, uh, a new app, a new thing called Facebook, it tipped in popularity and had 57 million users. 
Three years later, it had 500 million users. Now, as of April 2022, it had 2.936 billion monthly active users. More than a billion over the largest nation in the world. Um, in, in December of 2007, there was also an amazing thing that happened that I'm sure you appreciate, most, many of you, and that was uh, Netflix, this little company Netflix, introduced something called streaming. Now, let me just explain this to you, especially you young people in the room that are like, you know, under 20, 25, because you, you don't remember this. Um, so in the old days, if you wanted to binge watch a TV show, like we had Netflix, here's how you had to do it. Uh, we, because we were cheap, we subscribed to the cheap plan where you only like get two DVDs in the mail. And uh, you actually had, you got a DVD. Anybody remember those? They sent them to you in the mail. And then you had to, you'd watch your show and you're like, oh, that's so good. That's so good. And then you'd have to send it back and wait a couple days for the next DVD to come back. Think about that, how hard that would have been, right? Um, but we had, a, we had a loophole. I remember we liked this show called 24, and it was so addictive. And I remember one time, it was like late, late, like 11.45, and we're like, we can make it to Blockbuster before midnight. And if you know what Blockbuster is, you're really old. <laughs> that was called a video store. <laughs> 2008. Amazon Prime came along. They only had 1 million subscribers in 2008. Today, um, there's about 153 million subscribers. 2010, the first iPad tablet device shipped. Now, how many of you can even comprehend or imagine taking a road trip without, with your kids without one of those today? I, I tell my kids this. I'm, I'm like, hey, when I grew up, like we, I literally, we spent half to two-thirds of, uh, of the year driving around in an orange Volkswagen van and me and my brother in the back seat, no tablets, no electronics. Um, all we had was my dad would play like Johnny Cash tapes over and over again. And I, yeah, I tell my, I tell my kids this and like, why, why do you have to like put your lousy life on me? Because we're always like, you know, we're going to put tablets away and drive up the Mesa. And they're like, you, you know, just because you had a lousy childhood doesn't mean we have to. I'm like, oh, man. So that's just like the last 17 years. But if you go back a little further, think about the way life has changed in just a few generations. Some of you, um, probably most of you knew your grandparents or know them. Um, maybe some of you knew your great-grandparents. Probably most of you didn't know your great-great-grandparents. But if you just go back a couple of generations... Imagine life without a car, how that would change your life. Or a telephone. Anybody remember one of these? Also junk bin. But imagine being the first person to ever pick up one of these and talk to someone who actually wasn't in the room with you. Imagine life without a radio or a record player. Now, I know you have your music, streaming music, everywhere you go. Imagine if you wanted to listen to music. This wasn't all that long ago in the scope of history. There literally was no way to listen to music unless somebody was standing in front of you playing it, like playing their banjo, right? That's how you heard music. You'd have to go to a concert. Your great, probably your great-great-grandma. Not that long ago. And see, for thousands of years, technology actually progressed at a much slower pace than we've seen here recently in history. You'd have like somebody invent the wheel. 
that completely revolutionizes transport, and then hundreds of years would go by before another world-changing invention. But around the year 1650, um, with advances in shipping technology and with the invention of the printing press, the world began to change at an unbelievable rate of speed. And so now we are actually so used to changes in technology, we don't stop to think about how technology might be changing us. But in the course of history, there were actually some very, very smart people that were much more cautious about embracing technology than we are today. Socrates, you might have heard of him. He actually never wrote things down, and it said he mourned the invention of the pen because he feared it would alter human memory. Da Vinci, he died with blueprints and drawings for inventions that he never brought to light, things like a submarine, because he understood that inventions would change society and not always for the better. Now, I know we got some, like, you know, grumpy anti-tech people out here, and you're like, see? There's a name for you. Official name is called Luddites, okay? You're like, see? But here, here's the point I'm trying to make. This isn't an anti-tech talk. The point I'm really making about this is that uh, when it comes to technology, we rarely pause long enough to really even consider how a technology is going to change us. What is this doing to us? What is this doing to our relationship with others? What is this doing to our relationship with God? And as, as people research some of the technologies that have come into our lives here in the last 10, 15 years, um, here's what they've found around some of these things. One of them is that we are more connected than we've ever been, yet statistically, we also feel more isolated than we ever have as a society. Um, with every screen you bring in your house, it's an opportunity to have to be a little more isolated from each other. Have you noticed that? Um, does anybody notice, like, you can all, like your family can all be on a different device completely in your own world. Is that just me? Okay, it's just me. You can judge me. But it, it is, it becomes easier. In fact, um, I'm guessing you have a lot of screens. I did a little uh, mental um, inventory of the screens in my house, and I have 14. I, I just, I carry around four of them like all the time. I bet you have more. In fact, do a little quick mental count. See how many you have. I'll just wait because if I keep talking, you won't be paying attention. You'll just be like counting, right? All right, if you're still counting, you have a problem. We can just stop there, okay? You can do this at home later. <laughs> the point is, um, every time you bring one of those in, it is an opportunity to be a little more isolated and disconnected from someone in your family. You know, we're not really sure in the long run how all this technology is affecting kids and youth, um, but early studies as they come out are not good. Harvard Medical School says it's not how long we're using screens that really matters, it's how we're using them and what's happening in our brain in response. Much of what happens on screen provides impoverished stimulation of the developing brain compared to reality. In other words, there's something that's different about the way that our brains actually develop from technology, from screens, versus the reality of interacting with, with the world. Um, kids don't know how to be bored. If you notice that, my kids are like, I'm bored. And what did, I remember being bored all the time as a kid. And what, did, what was your parents' answer? Go outside. Go outside, yeah. 
all right, I got the solution. Go outside, find something to do, build something, you know, dig a ditch. I don't know. I did all these things. Like we built ponds and tree houses and all kinds of stuff. Many, ki- many young people today actually, um, you're never bored because there's always the opportunity to engage and connect with something. And, and here's the thing. Um, boredom is the space in which creativity and imagination happens. You actually need some, some time without stimulation from like devices and things to allow creativity, the God-given creativity within you to, to come out. Um, in fact, many teenagers stay up late texting. That's probably not news to you, right? And it, it doesn't just mean that teens are getting less sleep, which is true. Uh, they're also, it, it affects the deep REM sleep that's essential for processing and storing information from that day into the memory. That's what a lot of these devices in that blue light and stuff late at night does. And then it, there's a ton of additional anxiety that's entered into our life because we use texting as a primary form of communication. And, and let me just illustrate it this way because you know that. It's been five minutes and he hasn't texted me back. Does he hate me now? You know who you are. And here's the point. This isn't anti-technology talk. If you know me, obviously you can see that, right? This isn't about that. And at the end of the talk, we're not going to go out in the gravel parking lot and have a phone burning. Uh, Although if you're under 20 in the room, ask your parents about that if they grew up in like youth group because we did some weird stuff back in the 90s, right? right, Def Leppard. Anyway, (laughs) but what we really want you to do as we have this conversation is this. Uh, I just want to ask you, have you paused to consider the impacts of technology in your life and your family's life? How how are you doing when it comes to using technology in a God-honoring way? How is it affecting your relationships? And how can you create some boundaries and some safeguards when it comes to technology in your life that might actually lead to more flourishing in your life and in your family's life? Now, for some of you, you've been with us a while, and you're like, this kind of sounds familiar. I'm going to say this. You're right. Because we had this conversation a couple of years ago in 2020. And here's the thing. Then six days later, literally six days later, the world shut down. And the only way you could come to church was online. And here's what I'm guessing. Uh, you promptly forgot everything we talked about. Actually, you know, do you remember the early days of the whole pandemic thing? Like the first couple of weeks? And it was like, what do you do? It was kind of Cool, actually, like, we drove around. We drove up to Gateway and up the monument and connected as a family. And then, you know, the kids would go to bed and we'd watch Tiger King and (laughs) just those warm, fuzzy feelings. Again, you can judge me, but that was like a train wreck that you couldn't, like, take your eyes off of. Uh, (laughs) But here's what I think happened as those things progressed. The last two years, I'm guessing your habits around technology haven't gotten any healthier. 
In fact, I'm guessing if you went back in, in a couple of years ago, you're like, yeah, that's probably an issue. We should probably look at this as a family. Um, that radar sli- or that conversation slipped off the radar. And I bet if you look back now and, and where you're at emotionally, where you're at in your relationships, where you're at in your habits when it comes to technology, it's like, whoa. If I actually pause and think about this, it's gotten way worse. I'm guessing some of you have relationships in your life that have all but vanished over the last couple of years. I'm guessing your family's addiction to screens has not improved. I'm guessing your Zoom meetings haven't been able to fill the need for face-to-face connection with actual human beings. And I think this is a valuable and important conversation to have and in fact, a part of how I know that is because I didn't want to have it. <laughs> I'm talking to our staff like, I, we should do this. And it's like, I don't really want to do that, right? Because over the past couple of years, I think some of you, you've, you've become totally obsessed on some news sources and feeds and different things. And it's become a valuable thing. But if you're honest, it's, it's begun to rob from some of your relationships. And so this is one of those that I'm preaching to myself too. So we're going to start out. We're going to, we're going to look at some scriptures just to open up this conversation. And to begin, we're going to look at Genesis. We're going to start at the very beginning. Genesis 1, verse 1 says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The very first thing you see about the character of our God in the scriptures is that, number one, he is in the beginning, and number two, he is creative, He's a God who's creative. And he goes on throughout the rest of Genesis chapter 1, creating everything that you see in the universe. All-powerful God that spoke the universe into existence out of nothing. And I, I tell you, if you don't believe that, well, you're really, you, really your only other option is to believe in eternal matter that self, you know, through spontaneous chance created everything we see. To me, that's a much bigger leap of faith that to actually believe there's a God who spoke it all into, be, get, into being as the scriptures tell us. Verse 26, it goes on. Finally, after creating the sun and moon and the stars and all the animals, it says this in verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so to the animals, he gave a job. Your job is just to be animals, right? Fly, you get to fly. Cat, you get to, I I don't know. But to humans, he said, I created you in my image. And what is the first thing we saw about God? Creativity. That God is a creative God. And something that I believe is hardwired in the human heart is this creativity and this this thing that God placed in us to take what is here and to bring advancement and to bring um, innovation and to create new things and to make things better. It's at the heart of what God gave us. It's hardwired into humanity. That creating is part of what God, part of being God's image bearers. That we bring forth cool stuff that we do things in this earth. In fact, if you notice that work, God gave Adam actually work to do before the curse, before Genesis 3 and and the world fell and work got really hard and difficult. So work is not actually the enemy. Some of you need to hear this. Work is not the enemy. There's something that is God given and brings fulfillment because it's part of what God created us to do. 
to do something, to bring things into, into being, that, that, you know, to take the raw materials God has placed and make something for the betterment of humanity, for the flourishing of humanity out of them. And, and there's something fulfilling about that. And yes, at the curse, uh, work became difficult. And it says you'll live by the sweat of your brow and there'll be thorns and thistles. Anybody have a few of those coming up this spring? Yeah, all the yard work started, hadn't it? So he creates mankind. It says in verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. I want you to go out into every corner of this earth, my image bears, and subdue it. And the heart behind that little phrase there is really this idea of wise stewardship and, and having a dominion, not in a, like we think of this in a, uh, in a negative way of destroying the earth. No, it's actually caring for what God has provided for us and improving it and um, bringing something out of the raw materials God has, has made. This is part of the image-bearing thing of God that he gave us. It's his intention. And then Genesis 3 happens. And see, humanity's tendency is always to flip the natural order. That instead of wise stewardship that's brought back to God and worship of him and, and this dominion over creation and the way that he, he meant it to be, that's de- bringing development and bringing things into, um, you know, a better state and making things better instead of doing that, instead of being a wise servant and steward for God, we serve ourselves and make much of ourselves. That's always the tendency of humanity since the fall. See, the proper order is God is the creator over all who holds all things together and trusts us as his managers here on earth. But humankind actually wants to be like God, to be the ultimate ones who call the shots. The Apostle Paul in Romans talks about this tendency in humankind, this thing in human nature, and he says this, Romans 1.25, he says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. This is the tendency to replace the service of God with actually serving the created order and serving our impulses and serving the things that, that we actually create. Flipping the order. Wanting to become like God ourselves. And so ancient history moves along. And it says in Genesis chapter 6, it's not on the screen, but that um, when it comes right before the flood, that every intention of, and thought of the human heart was evil constantly. That's hard for us to understand, and there's a lot going on here we don't have time to get to um, right now when it comes to Genesis 6 and one of these things, but we, we see the flood happen. And let me just say, um, as I've studied these things and researched, that geologically the evidence for the flood is one of the most obvious things worldwide. I mean, layers that, uh, flood sediment layers that go around the world. You just walk out your back door here in western Colorado, and you see you're living, you're in the bottom of a giant lake bed right now, in case you didn't know this, this giant glacial lake that stretches all the way, drive, drive from here to Utah, and you'll see these book cliffs, right? That was the, the sea, that was the shore until a glacial dam burst. Well, I firmly believe that was 
after the flood. This is, in, as you go back and look at ancient cultures and legends, um, one of the things universally in ancient legends around the world, the oldest writing universally all around the world are legends about a flood. And then after the flood, we come to Genesis chapter 6 or 10. And it says this. We're going to have some genealogies here. It says that Cush was the father of Nimrod. Everybody say Nimrod. Who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. So hundreds and hundreds of years later, as um, Moses pens these words to remind us of this guy, Nimrod. He, there's still the legend. He's still legendary around the world. He's, oh yeah, Nimrod, a mighty hunter on the earth. We know who that is, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Verse 10, the first centers of his kingdom. So he's, he's a king. He's building empire right from the very beginning, which is also right at the heart of what humanity does from the most ancient times, is this desire to build empire, to, to take over and to expand empire. Here's what it says. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, Kaina, and Shinar. From that land, he went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ur, Kala and Resen, which is between Nineveh and Kala, which is the great city. So you see the appearance of this, this famous guy in, in mythology, this guy Nimrod. And he actually appears as a character in the mythology of many ancient cultures. He shows up in Greek mythology and Arabic and Syrian and Armenian legends. And there's historical evidence that uh, actually this figure is represented in a famous document, ancient document known as the Epic of Gilgamesh. Here's Gilgamesh carrying around a little pet lion. Like, no big deal. Just got my lion tucked under my arm here, right? A mighty hunter before the Lord. If you've read the Gilgamesh epic. And see, I just want to comment for a minute on some of this ancient legends and stuff around the world. Because we tend to, in our modern times, with all our, our cool technologies and, and things, right? We tend to think how dumb and how backwards ancient humanity was. But the scripture paints a little bit different picture. In fact, as you study ancient cultures, there's some amazing things that are really hard to um, explain. Have you, uh, like Stonehenge? <laughs> or my, my wife's fascinated by ancient Egypt uh, pyramids and some of the construction of this. And you're like, how did they do that? As far as we know, they didn't have cranes. The exact mathematical formulas, it's like, whoa. Um, one of my favorites I discovered, I think, a year or two ago. I didn't really know about this place, but it's this place. I think you pronounce it Sasquatan in uh, Cusco, Peru. And it's this place where these, these giant uh, boulders... Now, we don't know exactly when these are from. Some people think they're antediluvian, which means pre-flood um, boulders from ancient civilizations. These things are massive. And here's the amazing thing about this ancient culture. You see the cracks. There's, there's walls of these. And then when the, um, when the Aztecs came along later, there's another layer, which is much smaller stones and stuff built on top of these. A lot of these massive boulders are so tightly fitted together, you cannot even fit a paper between them. How did they do that? See, we don't really even know. This would be very difficult for us with modern technology to accomplish. And so 
The point behind this is that we tend to think of ancient civilizations as backwards, but the scriptures paints a picture, and actually many mysteries of history point this picture, that maybe things haven't just always progressed forward in history. Maybe there were actually very advanced people with with very advanced knowledge and technology and, and things that we don't even understand here today. So back to Gilgamesh slash Nimrod photo. Now, Nimrod, you've heard of him, and if you grew up with Bugs Bunny, um, you know it wasn't a very flattering name, right? Nimrod, it was kind of, uh, that was what they made fun of people calling him a Nimrod. We don't really do that anymore. But the reason behind that was this. It's because of this story that follows in Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, here's what Nimrod, as he builds his empire, builds his kingdom, here's what he does. It says this, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. And as the people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. So they found this place. Um, All the people spoke the same language. And they found a nice fertile plain. And they settled there in the cradle of civilization. Genesis 11.3 says this, they said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone, now this is significant, and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. We can make much of ourselves. Humanity can make much of ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the earth. Now, if you remember just a few verses back in Genesis 1, what was the commission to humankind? To scatter, right? To fill every little corner of this earth, to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to bring the image of God, the creativity of God, the development that God had in mind for this planet, the beauty, the flourishing of humanity, to every single corner of the globe. And they say, So we don't scatter, so we don't scatter, we're going to settle here and we're going to build a tower out of bricks, a tower that goes to heaven. This is a cry of rebellion against the instructions of God. In fact, as you read other ancient literature, you see this thing in humanity that resented God after the judgment. And God and said, we're going to conquer God. We're going to rebel against God. And so you see, they said, look, we're going to make this tower out of bricks. Now, bricks up here, you know, bricks in the time were the technology. They made bricks. We have bricks in our time. They look kind of more like this. Some bricks, things that you can accomplish things, build things with, bricks. And then, but here's what you got to know. The issue wasn't the bricks. When it came to this rebellion of humanity, the issue wasn't the bricks. The issue was how they used the bricks. They used the bricks in, in rebellion against God, trying to become like God, trying to build a tower that stretch to the heavens. This is a, we're going to storm heaven and take this God down. Who does he think he is? There's a, there's a famous painting of the representation of the Tower of Babel. It might have looked something like this. Many scholars think it looked more like a, a rectangular uh, Babylonian ziggurat, but it was a temple. It was a place of worship. 
It was often a place where they would worship false gods and idols. And as they're building this tower to make much of ourselves, they're building it to heaven in direct rebellion against God. This is a humanity with a fist raised towards God saying, we don't need you, God. So you have bricks, you have a tower, you have, God said, scatter and multiply, and we said, no way. This is rebellion against God. It's interesting, too, bricks throughout the Bible are a a metaphor for humankind in opposition to God and in opposition to human flourishing. In fact, there's this reference in Exodus chapter 5 as the Pharaoh enslaves the people of Israel and makes them make bricks, and then it gets even worse, and he says, I'm going to make you make bricks without straw. And it highlights this tendency in humanity to become enslaved to the things we create. That we often create something and then we actually become enslaved to the things we create. You know, I think it's interesting. Social media, um, Facebook, Instagram, you know them all, right? Um, And they're synonymous. So if you're like, Facebook, I just go on Instagram. They're the same company. I hate to break that to you. Now it's called meta, and there's this whole weird metaverse thing, which to me is very creepy. But anyway, (laughs) here's here's the thing. The smartest people in the world in these companies are working hard to make you very addicted to them. You realize that, I hope. Uh, There's a saying, you need to remember it, if if the product is free, you are the product. Um, There's an algorithm, actually. And it's called Random Variable Award Schedule. And here's what this means. It means that these companies have studied really hard how to get you to click and stay on their platform for longer and longer. And some of you, all that takes is cat videos. And you're like hours and you're on there, right? Others of you, they know how to push your buttons. And they've actually studied you enough. Have you noticed? Have you ever looked at your wife or friend's Facebook? And it's totally different than yours. You're like, that's strange. It's because they actually serve up to you the things that will most make you angry and push your buttons. Why? Because that will drive engagement and keep you on their app for longer and longer. And that's what they're going for. This is called surveillance capitalism. It's a huge market around the world. Um, in fact, you know, if you think, man, they're so nice offering me this, this feature for free. Um, <laughs> guess what? It ain't free. In fact, uh, here, here's the revenue for Facebook. In 2021, check this out. This curve just goes up, up, up. In 2021, the, the annual revenue of Facebook is $117 billion. The majority of that in advertising. Because they've learned very well how to mess with the human mind. Have you noticed that when your phone goes ding or buzz or whatever your phone does, you, you just like you look at it? right away. I've turned a bunch of my notifications off because I don't want that. You know, every time it does that ding um, and you, you look down, it actually stimulates the same part in your brain that releases a little bit of dopamine. The same part, you remember Pavlog and his dogs? They're training you just like that. Congratulations. <laughs> every time. And it goes over and over and over again. There's an interesting little tool you can use to see if you're like, I'm not addicted to my tech. Uh, if you haven't tried uh, either screen time or I don't know what the, the Google uh, equivalent is, like pull that up and look at it. Our staff did this on Friday as we sat around talking about this. We're like, ooh, you got to be kidding me. I, I like almost never use Facebook, but I like Marketplace, right? See, they know how to get you on there. 
And I looked down, I'm like, how did I spend that much time? I only pop on for a minute or two here and there. I'm like, whoa. Another staff member is like, I have picked up my phone and looked at it 80 times already today. And I bet if you checked, you'd probably be like, that's not that big a thing. Uh, most, most young people are on their smart devices nine hours a day. And I've heard that's for rookies. And you're like, that can't be. Yeah, actually it is. See, we as humans have a tendency to create things and then become actually enslaved by them. Genesis 11, verse 5. It says, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand one another. They are in unity, but they are in unity against the purposes of God. And this is important because just because everyone is doing it or everyone is saying it doesn't mean it's helpful or right or in line with the will of God. As a culture, they banded together to do the opposite of what God says. In our culture, the, the, the culture says, do whatever you want with your body. Watch whatever you want. As long as everybody's a consenting adult, doesn't mean it lines up with the purposes of God or for your joy and your flourishing in life. And God says, if, if they keep down this line, nothing will be impossible for them, which literally um, the idea behind here is nothing will be withheld from them. It's like God is saying, imagine the evil, imagine the slavery, imagine the human suffering these human beings will create if they are allowed to go on unchecked and completely unified in their rebellion against God. They can't stop themselves. They've become a slave to their rebellion. See, and we tend to turn these bricks of our day into something that enslaves us. You know, it's interesting as you look at culture and society and technology. Um, this is the first time in my memory since I was maybe a little kid that we've had a sobering conversation around the world about nuclear war. And literally, humanity has created technology that has the capability of wiping humanity off the face of the earth. It's a very interesting place to be in history. Uh, the last couple of years, as I've watched um, tech companies literally like shut people down with the click of one button, you're like, wow, that's pretty powerful technology. Just for sharing a different perspective. Uh, I think like, hey, um, Orwell was meant to be a warning, not a blueprint. See that meme go around? But the issue is not, the problem is not with the bricks, is it? It's what we do with them. Facebook is a brick of the modern day. It can be used for great good. Um, we have this messenger app where we communicate and we get prayer updates from our church planner friends over in Myanmar. And it's this powerful technology that's actually allowed us to stay connected and see the work God's doing and people getting baptized and pray for them as there's some crazy stuff going on over there and tragic stuff. But then also Facebook um, is, tears many relationships apart. 30 to 40% of divorces in our culture mention Facebook as a contributing factor because it's also very easy to connect with someone who is not your husband or wife. In 2018, um, 30 to 40%, uh, about 30% of court cases used Facebook in evidence in divorce court. Uh, one writer 
Divorce Mag says this, Facebook itself may not be the problem more so than human nature, but it turns out the social network easily caters to our darker side. The internet, what an incredible tool. I can't imagine living life without it, right? In fact, when it goes down in my house, <laughs> it's like, what do we do? How do we live life? <laughs> and what's the answer? Go outside, right? Anyway. <laughs> but it's a great tool. It makes life easier, information easier, but there's also a very dark side, isn't there? And kids and youth and men and women are being exposed to things on the internet that statistically, when it comes to pornography and some things, are as addictive as crack cocaine. Which is why it's wise to, have some, to put some good fences in. It's not the answer. The answer is the heart, but it's wise to have some good boundaries around that. Relationships start on the internet. Unfortunately, many are also destroyed on the internet. Verse 8, and we're going to close with verse 8 and 9. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That's why it was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. See, the result of human rebellion and allowing these bricks to become something that enslaves is that people are scattered and relationships are broken. Let me just ask you, what do you do with this? What do you do with this? See, this week is really, I just wanted to get the conversation started. We're going to take this a little bit further next week. We're going to give you some, some helpful resources and some tips to help just create some wise boundaries and some ways that your family can actually reconnect in real ways. So don't miss next week. And if you have to miss, um, go online. We're, we, it's a good tool, right? Online people. <laughs> or go to the podcast and catch up on that. But let me just say, my goal for you is if, if your relationships have suffered over the last couple of years, which I have a feeling is a lot of you, what if this summer you were intentional about restoring them? If technology has gained too much influence on you and your family, what if you begin to put some wise boundaries in place? Set aside some times. You know, and the answer probably isn't just cold turkey. We'll talk about that more next week because you'll do that for like a week. Some of you, you did a Facebook fast, and then you came back like a raging crack addict, okay? Try to put some wise things in place. And so here's what I really want you to do this week. Here's what I want you to take home. I just want you to have a conversation. If you're married, have a conversation with your spouse, or maybe gather your family around, or if you have roommates, gather some roommates around, or if it's just you and your dog, talk to your dog. <laughs> have a conversation with your family. And I want you to just mull over these three questions, and they'll all be on the screen at the very end so you can snap a picture of them and remember them. And that's this. What problem does this device solve, and what problem does it create? If you've given your kids a smartphone, you know, this solves some problems. They can text me, and we can stay in touch. And it has created some problems. My guess is it's created some tension and strife in your family. What problem does this device solve and what problem does it create? Second one is, do you control your devices or do they control you? It's a good question to think about. 
because a phone is a great accessory, but it quickly becomes a priority. Quickly becomes something. There's actually a, an actual phobia if you leave your phone at home. There's actually a phobia around that. In fact, it was so hilarious. My son this week, um, his mom took his sister to Taekwondo and forgot her phone plugged in on, on the piano. And he's like, mom forgot her phone. What's she going to do? I'm like, I think she'll be okay. <laughs> but you know that feeling. Do you control your devices or do they control you? It becomes very easy for the things we make to begin to enslave us. And the third question is this. How are your devices impacting your relationships? Is mealtime everybody on their own device? Has it turned into that? You know, statistically, one of the most powerful things you can do for your family is just to connect around a dinner time and actually have face-to-face communication. Does that ever happen in your life? Has that devolved over the course of the last couple of years to once a week? Where are you at with that? Do you find yourself going places that negatively impact your relationship with God? And are you constantly distracted? Do you find that when you get together with your friends, um, you're really not even together? I don't think you're going to remember those meals when everybody went out and hung out and we were on their phone the whole time. And yet that's a real thing today, isn't it? Three questions. Would you have a conversation? Would you think about these things this week? And next week we'll take this conversation a little further. Would you stand? And I'm going to pray for you. Father, I just want to say as we hear, um, Lord, many most are followers of you who have committed their lives to your purposes. And yet for so many of us, it's so easy to allow these devices to steal so much time, so much attention, so much of our relational capital. I want to pray that you would give us wisdom as we look at this issue. And as we think through this, and as we talk about how do we follow you as your disciples, as your emissaries, your image bearers in this world. Pray you bless my friends today in the name of Jesus. Amen.